This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. We are back with another edition of Mile High Report Radio Podcast. And, uh, Ian, it's, it's kind of an interesting position for us to be in. We have been... Uh, pretty down on the Broncos for the last 10 weeks. It feels like the last two years. And now we're sitting here as fans, and the Broncos are 4-6. and six, But it doesn't feel like they're 4-6. and six. I don't know. There's this, there's this feeling in the air of possibilities. Is that, the, is that the right word for it? Is that what we should be talking about right now? I think so, because... Don't look now, but the Broncos are in the playoff discussion. They're in the and discussion. It feel, and it feels like it feels like there's there's a catch twenty-two with that. Because you want the Broncos to be in the playoff discussion. You you want them to be involved in this debate, in this topic. But there's also this part of you that's like, but we really don't want Vance Joseph anymore. We don't want this coaching staff. And anything that could possibly hint at that being the reason that John Elway keeps him and the staff another year, you're fighting an internal battle. And I think that's the battle for all Broncos fans right now, at least most of them, 
is you want your team to be successful. You want them to be in this situation because it's better than where it was a year ago or two years ago. But you also don't want to be in the situation where Vance Joseph is your head coach anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I wrote about it after the game. Uh, the The big issue again is is Vance Joseph, right? I mean, I kind of took some flack from some people, um, Lori included, uh, that the Broncos, you know, won despite. Vance Joseph, and you know, you get people saying, "No, no, you know, he he had the team ready to go. He had them prepared." And, and I wonder about that. Clearly, Vance Joseph is is doing something right in getting the team prepared. Right there, there is something to be said about that. They they do have good practices apparently, and they are ready to play the games. And they've overcome, or not overcome, but at least last week against the the Chargers, they overcame really what I think were just very poor football decisions by the head coach. Things that he, you clearly, maybe he needs to hand the reins over to somebody else, but then he's not the head coach, right? It's, it is, you're right. There's, there is fear in them making the playoffs because if they make the playoffs, do they fire Vance Joseph? Do they go out and make a move? And I think the only way they do is if there is a candidate out there that is, someone that they feel can come in and have an immediate impact on the on the franchise. I, you know, the the rumor mill is is John Harbaugh, but I would even uh go so far as to say that maybe he's not the right guy either. That's just that's just retread, right? That's just a coach that is being retread and and maybe Elway wants to go and look for the college guy that uh is going to bring in a fancy offense. You know, you look at your your McVeighs and your and your Naggies and and that that game against the the Chiefs that the Rams played where they scored a million points. I, I mean, it'd be nice to have an offense that that functioned like that. And maybe that's the direction Elway goes if they get rid of Vance Joseph. But if there's nobody out there that that anybody thinks can do that, does Elway shy away from getting rid of Vance Joseph just because there's you know what what else is out there? That's the concern I think you get to as well. Even if they don't make the playoffs, I think that's a concern. I don't. Because you look at, there is a precedent. And and feeling hope when it comes to John Elway at this point kind of feels like lost hope, given what he's done the last three years. But he set the precedent that even if this team makes the playoffs, he will fire a head coach. So unless this team somehow wins out and makes the playoffs and then goes on a magical playoff run and wins the Super Bowl, the precedent has been set that unless you win the Super Bowl, he will fire you as a head coach, even if you make the playoffs and even if you win the division, because he did that with John Fox. So what needs to happen is I'm with Ian Henson. Go on a run, make the playoffs, have fun, and then fire Vance Joseph anyway. And then bring in John Harbaugh. You need that. You need, even if he is a retread, he is a John Fox-esque coach that this organization needs right now. And the difference between him and John Harbaugh is John Harbaugh has won a Super Bowl. So he can bring in that leadership. He can bring in what you need from a head coach that you're not getting from Vance Joseph. 
But at the same point, you can then bring in one of those young offensive coordinators. Maybe you can convince someone who is on another staff right now to move with John Harbaugh to be the offensive coordinator who has those tendencies that Sean McVay has or the ones that Matt Nagy has or John D. Filippo or someone on Doug Peterson's staff or how about this, someone on Sean Payton's staff because he's a guy who doesn't get talked about for being an offensive genius. His offense is probably the best in football right now with a guy who I think is the MVP in Drew Brees. But went out and still fire Vance Joseph because that's the precedent that John Elway has set. Yeah, you know, it's interesting as you're talking, the one thing that pops into my head there, when you look at the current Broncos and the way that they are constructed and the Broncos that John Fox was leading when he got fired, the difference there is expectations. And under John Fox, with Peyton Manning as the head coach, the expectations were Super Bowl or bust. It was, if you don't win a Super Bowl, you've failed. And that made sense at the time, right? They had the, the best offense in the league. They had Peyton Manning as the quarterback. There was all of these expectations that sort of weigh, I would say they weighed heavy on John Fox and they weighed heavy on the team. And he couldn't get it done. And so he had to go. Whereas with Vance Joseph at this point, what are the expectations? No basic football decision-making and do a good job of that on occasion and we will applaud it. I mean, there are no expectations for him. So if he were to exceed expectations as the head coach on the Denver Broncos from this point forward, do make the playoffs. That's a different scenario than John Fox making the playoffs, but not being able to get it done as a head coach, not being able to motivate his team. And so it's time to move on. I, I get where you're going with that. There is a precedent set, and I actually talked about it uh, the last time we, we did a show. There's this idea that you can fire a coach and improve when you're a playoff team. I used the 95, uh, I used the 95 Yankees as, a, as an example. They had Buck Showalter. They had uh, you know a, a really good team, and then um, they fire Buck Showalter. They bring in Joe Torre, and what do they do? They go win a World Series. The, you know, the, the Broncos did the same thing. They had John Fox. He didn't win. They fire him. They bring in Gary Kubiak. What happens? They win a Super Bowl. So the precedent is there. You're right. It is a possibility. But it's all about expectations. What are the expectations of the team? And that's the thing that makes me nervous. So your scenario. The expectation of this team has to be what it has always been since 1984. You win a Super Bowl or it's a bust. As much as Joe Ellis and John Elway talk about how much they love Pat Bowen, that better still be the expectation. Because if it's not, they both need to go. That's not okay. It's that simple. That's not what I mean. It's that simple. But that's not what I mean. That's not what I'm talking about. Yes, the expectations of the franchise are to win a Super Bowl every year. I get that. But from this point forward at four and six, realistically speaking, and you have to be able to do this, realistically speaking, can you say, realistically, at four and six, looking at what the Saints are doing and the Rams are doing and the Steelers are doing and and the Chiefs, as much as I hate to say it, those are teams that I don't think the Broncos can hang with, at least not all the way. I know they hung with the Rams a little bit, but 
even after that game, you and I did a show after that game, and we both said that game didn't look like it was anywhere near as close as the score indicated. And so the idea here is has to be there is the franchise expectation and then there is the season expectation. And I think that's where we are at this point. When John Fox got fired, the season expectation was win a Super Bowl. Vance Joseph right now, if, if your expectation right now is for Vance Joseph and the Denver Broncos to win a Super Bowl from this point forward, your, your expectations are skewed. That just It just doesn't work that way. So I, I, I think that you're right. John Elway can, can fire Vance Joseph even if they make the playoffs. I think he should do that. But the expectations are so different from what he did with John Fox to what's going on with Vance Joseph that I almost feel like you can't even make the comparison. It doesn't it doesn't fit. And 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 now that I've gone through my little rant here, I hate to to stop it, but we do have to say welcome. Uh Doc is here. The Doc is here everyone. Doc is in. We tried our best. I am, today we, I am the Doc. We tried our best to to go positive on the last podcast. So, but we we need to have we need a, a doctorate level lesson <laughs> so hopefully i can I do better with that. this than i did in college <laughs> hey i've got my master's now so i'm i'm almost at i'm, I'm working towards my phd why not i barely Are got my bachelor's <laughs> no i'm not working towards a phd <laughs> that's craziness that is it is craziness you are right you are right so the so question we be more positive yeah well i, I want to know the be, question well no i think before that did you listen to the last show and were we positive enough? <laughs> well, you guys did a good job. I had to laugh and I made fun of you in your in your write-up on it where I saw that. It's, like, it's not really positive if you throw the negative in at the end. <laughs> like, I was positive on the show. For a good try. <laughs> I was positive about the team. They're positive like, about the players. The rookies shine, but the coach sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes, that was that was that's all I should have written. That should have been the whole article. So here's the thing: Don't you guys remember? You know this. This is not about being positive. Whenever you, whenever you give someone a, a criticism, you're always supposed to do the sandwich where you have a positive, then the negative, and then the positive, so that you you surround your negative. <laughs> I'm laughing at you guys the way you're like, yeah, what a good idea. I never heard that before. What if, but okay, so what if in this scenario. We shine in spite of the coach, team pulls together for a great win. That would have been a little bit better approach. Well, that's too long of a title. (laughs) Read past the title. Well, or we could go, I I love Kevin Gilligan's title today, Broncos win, jerks lose. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, They're they're very precise in Germany, apparently. Yeah, exactly. That's so German to just be straightforward. Jerks lose. You're a jerk. You lose. (laughs) It also feels like it's an indictment on Scotty. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Scotty. The funny thing is Scotty loves it when he's the victim. Because he does not mind fighting back, so you know he's he just good needs at a it. forum. Yep, he needs a forum. So we need more sandwiches. <laughs> I do. I do like a good sandwich. I, you guys are gonna love this. 
if I had a, if I had a whiteboard, I would have, I would have, I mean, if you did video, I would show you, but I actually have notes for you on how to be more positive. <laughs> All right. Well, I have my notebook out. I don't. See, hopefully I can remember. My little, my, my, this gift my brother gave. So I'm ready to write some things down, I, Lori. I will post just on my, on my words for you today. <laughs> I th did I, I see that the first one was gratitude? I'll change my Twitter handle to doctor of words and positive thinking for a week. <laughs> there we go. So <laughs> did I see it right when you showed it to us? The first word is gratitude. I want to write it this down. Good. You're, you're, you're a good student. Hey, I'm a teacher, so I have to pretend. Yeah, right. <laughs> so so here's, here are the six, here are six steps to, to thinking more positively. And I'm going to try to apply them specifically to our Broncos situation slash semi debacle, <laughs> depending on. But but if we're thinking positive, we're going to call it a scenario and not a debacle. You say right? now who's being now who's being negative? <laughs> hey, we're they're in the playoff discussion. Yeah, yeah, we just said they're in the playoff discussion. There, see, we're positive. Nailed. There you go. We're that's right. We are in the playoff. So. Gratitude, I think actually we've already been doing that. Being grateful for what we do have. And I think what's cool about this team this year versus last year is there is actually a lot to be grateful for on the team. In addition to the ones we've always been talking about for the last five years, you know, we still have Von Miller and we still have Chris Harris Jr. and we have Emmanuel Sanders. Um, but now we have some amazing- No more Trevor Simeon. <laughs> right. No, stay with the positive here. Right. That's not positive, positive, Ian. You're not. That's how is that not positive? No, that, that does, I mean, I think it's positive, but I get where Lori's going. So let's just. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I guess we got rid of him. You're right. We, you can sandwich it with that too. So, but but more to your point that you already made um, last week. We have Philip Lindsay. We have Cortland Sutton. We have Bradley Chubb. We have on both offense and defense and some big positions. You know, we have a wide receiver, we have a running back, and we have an edge rusher. We're all young and doing amazing. And, and you know, let's put Royce Freeman in there too. We have two running backs. And so that is, that is a really nice core. It's not like we have just one good rookie. We have four that are really showing up and, you know, potential for a couple others uh, in other positions is, you know, as time goes on. So I think, you know, there is actually a lot to be grateful for. Um, and I, I would throw in, although I know that I wouldn't always agree with this myself, but I think Case Keenum, he is far more competent than what we had last year. At least the last two games he has shown that. So I think, I think we can see, you know, some light in the tunnel there <laughs> with him. Anyway, yeah, very positive. Yeah, I, you know, four games ago I was, and I was pretty down on Case Keenum too. So he's he's maybe in the middle there. But I still think, like like you mentioned, we don't have we don't have the quarterback debacle we did have. So we can be grateful for that. We we know who our starter is. He's improving. <laughs> And he's showing to be serviceable. And if the other pieces work well, then it can, you know, it can come together. So, all right. So number one, gratitude. 
Number two, this is going to, I think for you guys, this is going to be the hardest one. <laughs> so, oh, good. We're uh -oh. getting it out of the way early. Yeah. <laughs> so for every negative thing you say, you have to say, you have to think of two positive things. That's, so it's coming that, back no, uh -uh. no math. No math. <laughs> so one minus two plus. All right. So let's practice. Vance Joseph, big negative. Two pluses, real quick. Do they have Two. to be about Vance Joseph or? Yes, let's do that. <laughs> I'm gonna challenge you right up front. He makes nice t-shirts. <laughs> Good catchphrases. And he has, yes, great catchphrases. There you go. Look at us. The negative. He's a horrible head coach. Horrible head coach. <laughs> Worst in-game decisions of any head coach in the NFL this season. And I'm including Hugh Jackson. And good slogans. Great t-shirts, right. good slogans. Great practices. Great practices. We just sandwiched it. We did. You did. Look at that. We're advanced. You, I, or I'm just an amazing teacher. Whatever you got to tell yourself. <laughs> okay. When I was a kid in fifth grade, I hated my teacher. And I complained about her every day and I came home and my mom said, all right, that's it. I'm tired of hearing you talk about this because it just gets worse and worse and worse. And you're just in a bad mood before you even go to school. So every day you have to come home and you have to tell me two things you like about your teacher. And I couldn't say anything bad. I had to say only two good things. And she said, they can be things like you liked her shoes that day or, you know, she she sat in, a, you know, in the right part of the room so she didn't disturb you. It can be that minimal, but you have to say two positive things. And so I thought of, I thought of another positive. He had <laughs> a great gift. Yeah, excellent. He's excellent for his gifts. That is true. That's a good point. Yeah, and then, and then we should be recording this on video because people can't see my faces. Be video. You're gonna have to move to the video version. Just Google Vance Joseph gifts. Those are the faces I was making. Or just yeah. go to Twitter and go into the GIF and type Vance Joseph. It's so, fantastic. All right, so you guys are on your way. Three. Anyway, my point is, within within a couple months, the teacher actually became my favorite teacher because I shifted my focus to positive thinking, and my reasons actually became a lot more um, substantial. You know her teaching ability and the way she came up with assignments, et cetera, et cetera. So it works. It I will work. not allow you to manipulate me into thinking that Vance Joseph is the yeah, greatest I, head coach. I don't in like history. where this is going. I will so, not allow that thing. to happen. You don't need, you really don't need to do that. Oh, good. I don't, no, I don't think, I honestly don't think even Vance Joseph probably thinks he's a very good coach. I think you're giving him he's too like, much credit. Oh, I'm just terrible at this. <laughs> My thing on Vance Joseph is he he is he, what he's not good at is is sort of the thing that is different about being a head coach versus being any other coach on the team. And it's it is all of that organization. So I imagine that if you put him in a room and let him spend time thinking about all the situation, you know, doing the situational football, he could he'd probably come up with the right answer according to you and many football gurus but he's, oh, not, he's not he's not good at like that 
having to do it quickly, being able to have it be kind of intuitive, what's the right thing to do. He is not a, a manager. He can't, I don't think he's not, he's not organized. He's, he's not experienced to he like just have it be intuitive. Yeah, he doesn't score well on the Wonderlick test. <laughs> well, because the Wonderlick, no. that's the Wonderlick test, like is a speed test and it tests your ability right, to put things together quickly. Yeah, right. I don't mean that in a, in a joking way. He would not do well on the Wonderlick test. Right. But you can tell, you know, it's not like he's, you know, I, I always find this with college coaches a lot. You can tell when some of those guys really didn't get football. They just, you know, and I don't think it happens as much with the NFL. But do you, if you watched any, if you ever watched Les Miles or Mac Brown, like those guys had great teams with LSU and Texas. But when you would listen to them talk, it was like, do you even know what this game is? Like, and I felt like they just had some great players and, and you know, it was college. So it wasn't as – and they played in conferences where they could dominate. Anyway, I just – with Vance Joseph, I think he know you can tell he knows the game of football. He does not know how to manage the team. He doesn't know how to be organized enough to have already thought about what to do when there's a challenge on the goal line and he has to rely on the guys upstairs – and has to know quickly whether they can see and what they need to be able to see so he can answer the question, blah, blah, blah. I disagree probably with you guys and many people about how incompetent that decision of his was but because I can see his side. But still, it's partly him just not – he just doesn't do that well. He's I just mean, not the right coach. Even Dan Fouts knew he should have challenged that. Even Dan Fouts knew. <laughs> I, I – <laughs> If that's not an indictment, I don't know what is. But part of that is, but you know, when you think about that, that's Dan, Dan Fouts spent how many years playing quarterback where he was in situational football at a high level. How many years did he play? 10? A yeah. lot. Yeah. It was more yeah. than a decade. It was at least so, 10. So he didn't coach, but he was, he was in that situation himself and a leader on the field for a long time. Vance Joseph played a little bit of pro ball. You know, he was a, a um, you know, he wasn't the decision maker on the, on the field. He was doing what he was told. He was given the ball and making the play he was told to make. And he's been a coach. He's been a positional coach for, uh, you know, in a lower down the ranks coach longer than even a coordinator and certainly, you know, and then a head coach. So he hasn't had the experience of, having to understand all those those nuances of making decisions quickly and understanding the full game as the head coach, not just understanding what defensive backs need to do at a certain down and distance, you know, like I, I just, and maybe he'll get, he would get better if he kept doing this, but I think he would have been well served to be, you know, a defensive backs coach longer and then a defensive coordinator longer where he's interacting with the head coach and he's seeing these decisions and he's having to figure out what he, you know, if he were the head coach, what his responsibility would be on game day and where he needs to rely on coordinators and where he needs to know what he's doing. And it's all on him and he has to make that decision quickly. And, you know, that's not a learn on the job skill. So, I mean, like in the head coaching job, Unless you have some innate ability, unless you're a Bill Belichick or, you know, or a Sean McVay. But how long was McVay the, 
in the positions before he became head coach. I mean, he's 14, so couldn't have been that long. <laughs> He's been coaching since he was like two. So <laughs> he was—he he was born with a whistle in his mouth. He was offensive coordinator for two or three seasons, I think. He has a couple seasons, probably around two. Yeah. I mean, he's—he obviously has been in football his entire life, but he's so young that I think. He's probably not a good comparison to make. He's one of those guys that's he's he's, he's, kind of he's an female. outlier, right? He's the outlier. Everybody else is on the line, and he is way up above the line. And everybody looks at that and goes, "Well, I want one of those." Well, there's only one of them, so you right. can't have it. Right. That's true. So anyway, Vance Joseph is just not head coach material, not right now. And maybe he will be. Maybe he won't. Um, I, I wouldn't want to say he could never be, but I don't think he can be with the Broncos anymore. And I think that's clear. I don't, I really truly don't worry that he's sticking around. Even if where they make the playoffs? Super Bowl win. I, <laughs> where I think Elway would feel compelled to keep his winning coach, you know. So what you're saying is you're positive he's not going to be the head coach next year. That's right. I'm positive. Positive. Well, on that, Lori and I agree, even if they do make the playoffs. Right, right. So, anyway, should we go down my list? Do you guys want me to finish my yeah, list? Yeah, you yes. started the list. You don't get to start it and then not finish it. That's the worst. On four? Right. Anyway, I think we're so, on four. This is going to make me laugh, but the third one on this, this is from a psychologist, was a positive posture helps you think more positively. So being upright rather than slouched is, is helpful for probably. She's judging our posture. Did you hear that? I know. So listen. <laughs> I think posture is kind of or I'm sitting a little up. Slow. I'm but sitting what up. I would recommend is, you know, this is football. I think I think for a little positivity, maybe going out and hitting a sled or <laughs> you know, <laughs> go for a working walk. Your, working on your your you know your tackling that might be a good way to kind of adapt the posture to positive thinking. Okay, all right, the Bobby Boucher approach. That's right. That's right. All right, number four. This one I think is pretty easy. Is you. You just have to smile. Make yourself smile. Now, go watch the GIF if you want. <laughs> you guys are doing a great job. <laughs> For all the listeners out there, Ian and Adam are freaking smiling. We always <laughs> smile. We always smile. We're smilers. You're always serious. Anyway. <laughs> that is so far from the truth. Uh, we got to we got to start recording pregame because pregame is not nearly as serious. That's true. But the other thing I would say is to Broncos fans in general, go watch a Broncos Super Bowl and it will put you in a great mood. And I I love the I love Super Bowl 32, but I really love the highlight reel that they did after after um, Super Bowl 50. Where, you know, where they do like the, if you get the DVD, they go through the whole season and you see all the miraculous wins and then the AFC championship and like that. It's such, it's such a mood lifter for anything. I recommend it for your whole life, not just for the Broncos, but that's my advice there. All right. So two more. Surround yourself with positive people. <laughs> so I think I should put a disclaimer. Don't read MHR because. Oh. <laughs> or get in our Slack. 
you will right you'll surround yourself with the most negative people possible or don't go on twitter don't maybe don't go on Twi twitter twitter's a tough spot yeah 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 stay away from twitter but there's an interesting analogy with this so when you catch a crab and you put it in a pot a single crab can kind of it can crawl it can get out maybe not in a pot but if it's in a if it's in a net it can crawl itself out but when you put two crabs in there they get tangled up with each other because they're usually fighting and they can't get out. They can't save themselves. So two crabs is worse for them than one. And so the analogy is great. The more you're around other crabby people, you stay crabby and you can't get out of that mood. So if you surround yourself with people who aren't crabby, it's a lot easier to just have a positive thought and do your two positive for every negative comments about the team or about Vance Joseph. So, so am, I, am I reading this correctly? We don't want crabs. We don't want crabs. <laughs> any any kind of crabs. Right. We don't want crabs. Make sure we're all on the same page. <laughs> and two, two crabs is far worse than one crab. So It sounds like any crab is bad, but... <laughs> I just think you don't want crabs. Right. My, my last advice for you guys, this one's going to be a tough one. You have to be kind to somebody. Now that I don't think would be hard for you to do, but I would suggest to really work on the positivity for the Broncos, you have to be kind to a Chiefs fan or nope. a Raiders fan or no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Deal broker, you can't do it? It's not gonna happen. I, I'd I, rather <laughs> be nice to Vance Joseph. Yeah, I mean he's he's ours right it's okay for us to be mean to him it's like he's ours we get to be mean and i'm not i know but it's all about i got i have, we have a, crabs to chiefs fans yeah, I, that, you know what i will be nice enough <laughs> no no i can't i wouldn't even give no i want to i want to give them nothing since we're talking about chiefs fans can i just say that i think that this is a positive for them I think it's great that they are the first team in NFL history to score 50 points and lose. That I mean, you guys have probably already talked about this, but that game was unbelievable. Yeah, like, we touched on a little bit. We really didn't talk about it. You have to if you get a chance, you should read the Deadspin article on it. Um, actually, you talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to find it and just read the lead because it's hilarious. What it made me think of is the fifty-one forty-eight game between the Cowboys and the Broncos. Yeah, oh, that was a, that was another great because I, I thought that was that game was just as exciting and just as good, but I thought it was a little bit better because there was there weren't as many turnovers. Yeah, Mahomes was crazy. <laughs> wow. And it also made me think of the best Monday Night Football game ever. Period. Full stop. John Elway, Joe Montana. Oh, that was yeah. the best Monday night football game, period. What? Might be the best football game ever. Well, that was 91. When was that? It was that 90, was a great 94. game. 94. 94? Pretty okay. sure that was 94. That was a great game. That was you know, the thing that that game had that that this game didn't have, right? The game that the Broncos played in in that Monday night game that they lost, right? We you know, as much as we yeah. don't want to admit it, they lost. The thing that game had that this game doesn't have yet is it had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks 
who were le- already legends in the game, right? John Elway was yeah. already the greatest quarterback to never win a Super Bowl at that point, and then eventually he'd go win a couple of Super Bowls. Joe Montana was already the greatest quarterback in the history of the game, according to some. And you have these two future Hall of Famers dueling on a Monday night in, like Ian said, possibly the greatest game in NFL history. This game that the the Chiefs and the Rams played, it didn't have that yet, but it had some incredibly gifted offensive players, and it had Aaron Donald, and it had—I mean, there were—it yeah. was such a good game. I, I you know, I, I was the a Chiefs game lost. Did you, did you guys watch the whole thing? I really only oh, watched yeah. like the second half. You know, I was exhausted, I, and was, I don't even care about those teams really. It was, it was funny because like, you walk away. Like I had to walk away at one point because I was, you know, doing stuff around the house and things like that. It's Thanksgiving weeks. So we're getting ready for family to come yeah, into town. Yeah. And I walked away to go do something. I come back. I was gone for five minutes. I missed two scores. I, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. I know. It was nuts. It was like pass, pass, touchdown. Kickoff, pass, pass, interception for touchdown. Like it was um, – it was – I don't think – they didn't have very many three and outs because they didn't even have three plays and they were scoring. It was, it was, it was like, it was fun to watch. It it was, it was, it was kind of, especially the last five minutes was honestly just sloppy. I was, I was kind of, I was like, Mahomes, why couldn't you have done this when we were playing you? <laughs> like, why couldn't you have thrown a 60 yard, you know, cause they actually, they actually got Mahomes. to Mahomes. They actually got to Mahomes. We couldn't get home. <laughs> And Wade Phillips didn't call a uh, a playoff zone coverage on a second and 30. (laughs) I know, but it was situational football. (laughs) All right, let me read you this because it's hilarious. The Rams and the Chiefs played the highest scoring contest in the history of Monday Night Football, a 54-51 barn burner in which every play went for seemed to go for 18 yards and every third play seemed to produce a touchdown. It was the most exciting football game I've ever watched. Did you miss it? Watch the Nuggets Bucks? Well, fuck you. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> bleep me again. Nah, I mean. Listen to this. They, the teams combined for seven total punts against three defensive touchdowns, and they scored more combined touchdowns, 14, than the Bills have scored all season. <laughs> Okay, that's funny. That's no, great. That's funny. <laughs> Last step. Patrick Mahomes threw for 478 yards and six touchdowns, completed 33 of 46 attempts, and lost. The um, actually there was one. There was another stat about the about the Bills. Oh well, something like he threw for more touchdowns than they've scored in their last two games or something. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's another reason for a Bills fan to jump through a table. Oh, those <laughs> poor Bills. Bills Mafia yeah. struggling, just struggling. They're yeah. gonna be great in Toronto someday. <laughs> someday, someday. I do think here, and I will. I'll end my segment because this is actually a great segue back from that to the positive thing. When you watch that game last night, and I think you all probably talked about this, and I know it was on Twitter a little bit. The Broncos held both of those teams to under 30 right 30 or under and those two teams playing each other you know it was like like they said it's a barn burner but it felt even like they just couldn't like i don't know it didn't feel like it was a good it was a good matchup it was just like 
defenses had just kind of had lost it. They couldn't keep up because the offense was so crazy. And we showed that we still have a defense that could keep up with some really good offenses. I mean, those offenses are good. <laughs> and so I think, I think that shows, because we know our defense isn't the elite D that it was, but it's nice to feel like they, they were on the verge of, of really keeping us in the game. Had our offense been able to, to keep up or to do a little bit better in those two games, we, we could have a six and four record right now and have beaten the two best teams in football. So I, it's depressing, but it's also a positive going forward and thinking that our team has potential to really wreck some games and show that it has talent. And the next one up on the slate is against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Another Super Bowl contender. And you know, like if I'm the Broncos last night and I'm watching this, I look at that and go, we kept Philip Rivers in check, basically, and we almost got Mahomes and, and Goff, and we, these are two teams that are clearly great offenses. We have it. We can do it against Ben Roethlisberger. And one more plug for the positivity. If you're the players, that positive thinking is actually crucial. I mean, it, they need that kind of thinking themselves just to, just to play the level they need to play because – even though we have talent, we don't have room for uh, mistakes. We don't have the kind of team that can make big mistakes and, and make up for it in the game. Like we have a very small margin of error, maybe no margin of error, in, especially against a team like the Steelers. So being able to say we just won a game against a really good offense and we played close against two really good offenses that blew each other out, uh, you know, last Monday – we're, we've got good stuff going in to, to beat the Steelers team. So I think the main thing for the positivity is we just need to have a regular Lori segment. <laughs> Next time I'm bringing the whiteboard. <laughs> oh, there we go. Learn all kinds of stuff. And then at stuff. some point we'll get the PowerPoint. <laughs> oh, oh, I can share the PowerPoint. PowerPoint of positivity. I like the alliteration. <laughs> all right, guys, I've done, I've, I've done all I can do for you. I think <laughs> we are well on our way. Well on your way, though. Yeah, it's a good start. I'm gonna start with the posture. Yeah, I'm gonna sit up. <laughs> sit up. I feel I feel good already. See, see, me too. Breathing deep, thinking positive, talking about Super Bowl 32, Super Bowl 50, Elway, Montana on Monday night. I we've mean, had we've had good conversation. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. All right. Peace Thanks, out. Lori. Right. Thanks, Lori. <laughs> Good night. All right. That was good. She did a nice job. I feel I feel positive. I feel positive. I have to say, I think it's I think it's like a Freudian slip from that writer from Deadspin to mention Barn Burner with all the stuff burning in California. Yeah, I, I I don't know if it's a Freudian, so maybe it's just a it's maybe not the best use of, of a term at this particular time. Um, you know, you got to pay attention to some of those things, but it was it was definitely a high scoring, fun game to watch. That if you, if you turned around for just a second, you missed something big. And uh, you know, I what the thing I thought was interesting is that the Chiefs went totally away from Kareem Hunt, 
And that was great for me because the guy I was playing in fantasy football this week had Kareem Hunt going, and he scored like 16 points in the first half and then scored two the rest of the way. And luckily for me, I was able to walk away a winner. So there's more positivity for you. I got to win this week. So let's let's take this back to where we were heading before we got derailed by Vance Joseph and John Harbaugh talk. Mm-hmm. How serious is the playoff talk right now for this football team going into this game against the Pittsburgh Steelers? You know what? I, th- I think that if you want to be serious about talking about the playoffs, they have to win this game. And so this beating the Chargers creates the conversation, right? It, it gives us the opportunity to talk about, well, maybe the playoffs, it's a thing. We could, you know, if they beat the Steelers, it's a distinct possibility. If they beat the Steelers, it says that this is a team that has a chance at actually going to the playoffs, and we can start to talk about it. I don't think you can talk about it in any serious matter until they actually go out and beat the Steelers. If they don't beat the Steelers, if they lose to the Steelers, I think the conversation is over at that point because then it's seven losses and, and you're you're done. If they win, it's still just six losses. I think they get into the playoffs with six losses. I I totally agree with you. And as it stands now, since the Broncos are four and six, the the Broncos are technically one game back. Although when you look at the Baltimore Ravens, who currently sit in that last spot, the Ravens are five and five. Mm -hmm. It's really a two-game lead since the Ravens have the head-to-head. So it's the, so it, it's a big it, hill. As, as you said, the only way this becomes a serious discussion point is if they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday. And this is something from my keys to the game, the, the staff preview that we do, that I'm I'm gonna bring up with you. And we've talked about it a few times over the course of off-season podcasts. Mm-hmm. But this is the first time that they've played the Steelers since we've done a podcast. Why aren't the Pittsburgh Steelers mentioned as a rival of the Denver Broncos when the rivals are mentioned? You get the Oakland Raiders. You get the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. You get the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. Some say the Chargers. Why aren't the Pittsburgh Steelers ever included? Why why do they seem to get le- left off the list? Especially when you look at some of the best and greatest moments in the history of the Denver Broncos have come against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's it. You know, it's on a January really good question. 1st, yeah. On January 1st, 1978, who did the Broncos beat to advance to their first ever Super Bowl? I believe it was the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, I mean, there's 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 game number one, right? They beat the Steelers to advance to beat the Raiders. Which is huge. In 1997, mm-hmm. Three River Stadium. Yep. In the AFC Championship game. Remember it well. Who did they beat to advance to San Diego in Super Bowl 32? Wow, they, they, they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. In 2015, in the AFC Divisional Round of the Playoffs, at then Invesco Field at Mile High, who did the Broncos beat to advance to the AFC Championship game? Well, they they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. So in two of the three Super Bowls the Broncos have won, 
they beat the Steelers. Yeah. In three of the eight Super Bowls the Broncos have been to, they beat the Steelers. Yes, they did. Yes, they and did. And I didn't even mention, I haven't even mentioned the overtime Tim Tebow to Demarius Thomas walk off eighty yard touchdown. Sure. I was gonna I was gonna say you have to talk about that one as well. And then the other one you get to talk about, and it this one isn't as fun to talk about because it's a loss. But the Broncos lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC Championship game uh, with Jake Plummer as the quarterback. And what was that, 2006, right? Yeah, for the so, 2005 season. 2005 season. And the, and, the, and the Steelers went on to win. Steelers won the Super, Super Bowl, Bowl that year. So when you talk about rivals, I think you talk about teams that play each other a lot and have an impact on each other's season. That's why division rivals are so important. That's why the Raiders are a big rival. That's why the Chiefs are a big rival. That's why you mentioned San Diego or, or Los Angeles now and the Chargers. This, the, the Patriots have been the sort of the, the, the rival that people don't like because the Patriots win so much. But the Patriots are not even on that list as much as the as the Steelers are. At least maybe it's pretty equal. So it is interesting. You bring up a really good point. Why aren't they considered more of a rival? I think they are. I, I do I think not. They are. I do not like the Steelers. I genuinely do not like the Steelers. I I never have. Uh, I I I don't know any Broncos fans that do. I don't know why you would. Um, you know, I like to see them lose, and I love to see them lose to the Broncos, and I, I hope to see them lose to the Broncos this week. Even though some people out there in the Twitterverse and on MHR and some of the people who read my articles would argue that I don't want them to win, I do want them to win. I always want them to win. It's just sometimes I, I recognize the long game a little bit more than the short game. I, you know what I'm saying with that. But, yeah, no, they, they definitely are a rival. We just... They're not a regional rival. I, I I think that's part of it. It's an that's an interesting one. I I would be curious to know like how many Bronco fans out there think of the Steelers as a rival, as a true rival. And since they're playing the Steelers on Sunday, they're gonna rekindle what I think is is a good rivalry. Can they keep their playoff hopes alive? And what do they need to do? To make that happen. So what is your key to Sunday's game? My key to the game is the rookies. Uh, the thing that we've seen when the Broncos have, have won this year, uh, the the rookies have been a huge part of that. And I'm talking about Philip Lindsay, obviously. I'm talking about Royce Freeman. I love the the you know, sort of the the shared backfield. When they when they rush for a lot of yards and when they have an impact, that's a big deal. But also Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton need to have an impact on the game. Uh, Cortland Sutton showed in the game against the Chargers that he can be an impact player. Uh, and I I, I want to see more. I, I would like to see Chubb in Roethlisberger's face as much as possible. And I would like to see him getting into the backfield and just anytime he can just get, you know, get Chubb into Roethlisberger's face. My key to the game is smack Big Ben. Bradley Chubb, Von Miller, and the rest of the Orange Rush have to pressure, hit, and sack Ben Roethlisberger as much as possible. Think of the 2015 AFC title game against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. If Denver is able to get that kind of consistent pressure on Roethlisberger, 
that limits the big plays and damage he and the Steelers' offense can inflict. And speaking of the orange rush, Breaking T has the orange rush shirt at $15 now. And if you use the promo code BFSAVE15 at checkout, you'll save 15% on your purchase. There you go. That's like shipping and handling right there. So 15 bucks on a T-shirt that is, I, I think is more relevant now than it was at the start of the season when they first started selling it. So jump on it now. Get it. Have it ready to go. Make sure you're wearing it on game day. Uh, if nothing else, at least under your John Elway jersey, that's what I have a tendency to do on game day. So make sure you got it on. Got to have it on. Um, you know the other key to the game that I didn't write about, and I don't know if anybody else mentioned it, the offensive line has to have another stellar game. Um, they, Taylor actually mentioned that. Did he? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they, they played very well, and nobody expected that. Nobody saw that coming that that offensive line was going to play so well against the Chargers. And so they've got to they've got to duplicate that. They have to replicate that against the Steelers. If they can't do that, this is all moot, right? There's no point in even having the conversation because they played a clean game. There were no penalties. There were I mean, they were there were no, no holding calls. They were they nobody got to the quarterback. It was sort of it felt weird watching the game cuz I kept waiting for somebody to throw a flag or for Case Keenum to get sacked or whatever, and it just it just never happened. So if they can do that again, if they can replicate that, if they can, they can do it again, I think that's that's going to go a long way to them getting a win and then actually being able to talk about hey, the Broncos could make the playoffs. Who are your players to watch? I, I mean, I'm going to sort of cheat and just go with the same answer. It's it's the rookies, and, and it's both sides of the football for me. I think they have shown that they are the impact players on the team, and so that's who I'm watching. I want to watch them continue to grow. I think the on the offensive side of the ball for me, it's, it's really Cortland Sutton. Um, he, he has an opportunity to, to sort of fill a role that is – extremely important on this team he's he's a big strong receiver who can go across the middle he can go deep he can you know he can do a lot of different things I'd like to see them utilize him we've talked about it a lot this season how they should be you know throwing deep to him and letting him go up for those 50 50 balls because he's either going to come down with it or he's going to get a pass interference and I think the secondary for Pittsburgh is prone to these pass interference calls that's a that's a weapon that they can use send him down the field you know, get some penalties, get the ball moving. I think that's a that's a big way to do things. And then obviously on the on the defensive side of the ball, it's it's Bradley Chubb. But then the other guy that we didn't mention before, Josie Jewell, who's been making some impact plays as well. He's going to have a, a a big role in this game. So those two rookies, Bradley Chubb, Josie Jewell, on the defensive side of the ball for me uh, are players to watch. So I'll give you the floor for your players. For me on defense, Chris Harris Jr. The last time the Broncos played the Pittsburgh Steelers when Antonio Brown was on the field was was in Pittsburgh. It was December 20th, 2015. Antonio Brown absolutely torched Chris Harris Jr. to the tune of 16 catches for 189 yards and two touchdowns. If that happens again on Sunday, the Broncos are going to get absolutely blown out of the stadium. So Chris Harris Jr. better strap up 
and play like the cornerback everyone knows he is. Because if anyone else is covering uh, Antonio Brown on Sunday, it's going to be a nightmare. So they have to man up Chris Harris Jr. on on Antonio Brown the entire game. And then my second player to watch on defense thus becomes Bradley Roby because he's going to be on Juju Smith-Schuster. And he is just as dangerous as Antonio Brown. Absolutely. So the secondary is going to have to show up. Not just Chris Harris Jr., who is my player to watch, and then my second player to watch is Bradley Roby, but the entire secondary. If it's the frequent Flyers zone on Sunday, Ben Roethlisberger is going to he's going to absolutely get close to 500 yards of of offense. Oh yeah. And then offensively I'm going to go with Case Keenum because the one thing you cannot do against the Pittsburgh Steelers is turn the football over. You can't give this offense more opportunities to move the ball down the field and score. Because if anyone watched the Jacksonville Jaguars and Pittsburgh Steelers last week, you saw that. Oh, yeah. I mean, this offense doesn't need any reason to get going. So don't benefit them by giving them the ball on turnovers. So Case Keenum has to play another clean game. And he's done it two weeks in a row. And I and I get, I get the bar is low. We're not expecting him to be Peyton Manning and – throw four four touchdowns and have 130 quarterback rating but don't turn the football over because you cannot give Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers added opportunities to put points on the board and I think that's another important factor here as you always hear against teams that go against Tom Brady and the New England Patriots and now the New Orleans Saints and now the Kansas City Chiefs, and now the Los Angeles Rams, you have to score touchdowns. If you get the opportunity, you have to you have to capitalize and put the ball in the end zone. Yeah, you're not going to be trading field goals. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're, you you got to find a way to get it across the line. Um, and, and I think you're right. I think that idea that Case Keenum sort of put out there at the beginning of the season of ending all of the possessions with kicks – uh, whether it be a punt or a field goal or an extra point, uh, was extremely important at the beginning of the year, and then they didn't follow through with that. And you're right, the last few games he has been much better, and if he can continue with that, I think they have a, a good shot at winning. Um, do you have a score prediction? I have one. I wrote it down. I'm going to surprise people. Uh-oh. I, I'm actually going to predict a Broncos win. I, I'm going to say they win uh, 27 to 24. Wow. I, I can't. I, I wrote mine down before we started. You, <laughs> I can't believe we're doing this. I am also predicting a Broncos win this week. The theme is positivity, people, so you kind of got to go with it. Uh, I have a lower scoring game, though. I've got 23-18 Denver. I'm just as shocked as you are. I wonder if it's going to feel natural i think it's natural we have the right posture yeah we're sitting uh, now i do i said we are smiling we're smiling i'm i am grateful for the rookies that's what i was just talking about the rookies i'm grateful so that was number one i wrote it down that was the only one i wrote down i (laughs) i 
That's how I used to take notes in college. I would write down the first thing and then I would stop writing things down. I was like, yeah, I got it. It's fine. So, and then we're supposed to make sandwiches. I love sandwiches. I might make a sandwich. Especially getting close to Thanksgiving because you're going to need that leftover meat for sandwiches. Ultimate Thanksgiving sandwich, right? With the leftovers. You do a piece of bread, right? Then you got to do a layer gravy. Then you do some turkey and then some mashed potatoes. And then you need a little more gravy. And then I like to go with a little bit of stuffing and some green bean casserole. And then another layer of gravy. And then if you're feeling frisky, another piece of turkey and another layer of gravy. And then you got to throw the bread on top. You might want to toast the bread. like a heart attack. You might want to toast the bread because it could just fall apart. If you've got a nice thick brioche, I know I said brioche on the podcast. Nobody saw that coming. That'll keep the integrity of the bread a little better, and you'll have a nice big sandwich. You might have to eat it with a fork. It sounds like you might just want to put it in a bowl and just mix it all up. Make it like a shepherd's pie. Sure, that's fine too. But that's the ultimate thing. And notice I left out the cranberry sauce because I think cranberry sauce is disgusting. Especially on turkey. Yeah. I mean, what are these people doing? Other than, I hope I hope people wrote that down. If you didn't write that down, you need to be trying this. I mean, not until Friday in the morning for breakfast. Speaking of Thanksgiving, is there a game of the three that you're looking forward to watching come Thursday? Yeah. You know, I'm a... I am a traditionalist. I like the tradition of, you know, the the Bears and the Lions are a traditional Thanksgiving Day game and the, the Redskins at the Cowboys another traditional Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Day game. That's hard to say, people. But uh the the one that I'm most looking forward to watching is the Saints playing the Falcons, right? The Falcons are going to New Orleans. It's Sunday night, and I just want to see how many points the Saints are going to score this week cuz I think that they I think they're going to score a ton of points, and I'm curious about that. And the Falcons are good offense as well. So I'm wondering if we're going to get the same kind of game that we got on Monday Night Football with the Chiefs and the Rams. Will we see a similar game with the Falcons at the Saints? And just how many points are the Saints really going to score? And I can't remember who pointed it out on on Twitter early on Tuesday. But I I get the same sense – as the person who asked the question, and don't you just get the sense that Sean Payton wants to drop a 60-burger on the Falcons and be like, oh, yeah, Sean McVay? Oh, yeah, Andy Reid? You got 54-51? We put up 63. Yes, that sounds like something Sean Sean Payton would want to do. I almost said Sean McVay. I have Sean McVay on the brain now. Sean Payton would, would love to do that. That just to sort of prove that he's still the offensive guru, right? That he's the guy. And I would absolutely say Drew Brees, Jared Goff, Patrick Mahomes. Drew Brees throws nine touchdown passes. Oh, could you imagine nine touchdown passes from Drew Brees? And then they go and they, I mean, he's your MVP at that point, right? This is really. We're actually kind of watching the MVP race there, and it's it really nobody's talking about Goff so much as they're talking about Gurley. But it was Mahomes, it's Breeze, it's it's Gurley, it's kind of Goff. If Drew Brees goes out and throws nine touchdown passes in a game, which I don't I don't think we're predicting that, but we think it's something they might try and do. How is he not the front runner for the MVP, especially with them essentially being 
you know, they'll be what, 10 and 1 at that point? And they'll have the number one seed in the NFC because they beat the Rams. That's right. So the, they'll be rolling. It'll be an interesting game to watch. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited for that one. And I, and I do think right now Drew Brees has to be the MVP front runner. I just, I, I think with the season that he's having, the stats that he's putting up. Was he throwing? Is he completing like almost eighty percent of his passes? Did I see that? Yes, it's, still it's incredible where he's at with his. I mean, and I know a lot of people would say, "Well, it's a lot of short passes. It's a lot of this." Is like, yeah, no, it's still like eighty percent. That's insane. That is an insane number that we'll, we'll never see again, in my opinion. And speaking of MVPs, is Aaron Donald in the conversation with what he's doing? I mean, I. He's not only the NFL sack leader right now, he's getting double teamed like 70% of the time. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you start to talk about defensive player of the year, you you talk about just a couple of players. You talk about Khalil Mack and you talk about Aaron Donald. And I would love to put Von Miller in that conversation, but he just he just isn't this season. He's had some he's He's still one of the best defensive players in the NFL, and for my money, the best, maybe maybe even with those guys. But just season-wise, Khalil Mack and, and Aaron Donald are your defensive players of the year at this point, and, and I think Aaron Donald is absolutely the guy who's on top right now. And, yeah, you could put him in the, the MVP discussion. The problem is, and, and I think this is one of the things that the, the NFL should really consider doing, and they kind of have already done it. That's why you have the offensive and defensive players of the year, and then you have an MVP. But defensive players are almost never going to win an MVP because they don't impact the game in the same way because they don't put the points on the board. The guys who put the points on the board are always going to get the MVP. That's why Drew Brees is your front runner. That's why Todd Gurley is, is in the discussion. That's why Patrick Mahomes. That's why you know Jared Goff. That's why you can talk about all these offensive guys as – being in the mix and then you go yeah and then Aaron Donald you know he's sort of the afterthought because he's the defensive player that really probably deserves to be in the discussion and then in terms of the games on Sunday there really isn't a game that I will want to watch even in the early games I just none of them excite me but there is one thing and I told this to my wife after the Chiefs became the first team in NFL history to score 50 points in a game and lose. It's fun to say, right? Oh, it's so glorious. <laughs> but there's a reason you cannot count out the New England Patriots, and that's why. Because they have the head-to-head matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs, and they're just sitting there. Everyone's talking about the Steelers. That's true. Everyone's talking about the Chiefs. They may be talking about the Chargers. They're talking about the Rams, the Saints, the Bears. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree. Tom Brady and the New England Patriots Hanging sitting out. there yep. one game back. Yep. No, I, and, and who do they play? They play the Jets. You know, they, they play the, the Bills. They play the Dolphins. They play teams that are perennially bad right now. And so they really have the easiest path to the playoffs to begin with. All they got to do is get in. And you know Bill Belichick, that's his his mindset. All they got to do is get in. And they're and they're a problem for all of those teams. 
Well, especially since you know they're going to win the AFC East. Absolutely. So that in itself gives them at least a home game, if not one of the top two seeds. And if they do get the number one seed, there's no way Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Chiefs go into Foxborough in the AFC Championship game and beat the Patriots. It's that would not be happening. a shock. No, it would be a huge shock. I don't. I don't think that that would happen either. So I, I think. I think you're right. I think it's it's uh it's pretty obvious that the Patriots are going to be in the playoffs and they're going to be the thorn in the side of the of the other teams, the sort of the the glamour teams which are the Chiefs and the and the Rams and the Steelers and the you know all those other teams are are teams that everybody wants to talk about. The Patriots have become that team that because they've been good for as long as they have been, you kind of want to almost want to forget about them. But you're not going to get to because you're going to have to watch them play in the playoffs. Um, I am excited to watch, and I, I know this is going to sound sort of silly. I'm excited to watch the Packers and the Vikings. That's another traditional game. So Sunday night game that'll be fun to watch. Um, sure, I got you know I got nothing going on on Sunday night. I can watch that. There is two things that we need to mention about this Broncos Steelers game that are just little. Side notes here, but nuggets. Jim Nance and Tony Romo will be calling the game for CBS. Hey, hey, I might get to watch this game on regular TV. And then the Broncos are going to be wearing their uh, old school logo. Yes. That's it. You know, it's one of those weird feelings because they have won three Super Bowls with the new logo, right? The new logo is what they've won the Super Bowl with. But there is something about the Snot Rocket D, right? That old school D that it just sort of, that's that's the classic look for the Denver Broncos. That's what everybody wants. I would be ecstatic if they went back to that logo. I think people would prefer it. I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. I think it's their best logo. I think it's the coolest logo. I think it's what made the Denver Broncos the Denver Broncos. Yeah. I, I just I, I would love it. As I, Vic Lombardi said, there's no debate, and I'm a doctor. <laughs> He's not a doctor, by the way, just so in case you're curious. He really isn't a doctor. Lori, she's a doctor. Lombardi. She would agree with us, though. But she would agree with us. And, you know, it's interesting. I like the look of that darker blue. So I, I kind of like the way that it looks on that, that dark blue helmet that they wear better than the old. So you kind of get that mix of the old and the new with the darker blue when they do that. So I like that. I think it's a good look. And I, I wish they would wear it more often. It's The old school logo is the logo that I have on the flag that flies out in front of my house. And it's out there for a reason. And then speaking of old school, on Tuesday... The Pro Football Hall of Fame announced the 25 semifinalists for the 2019 class, and there were three Broncos included. I'm not including John Lynch because even though he's on the ring of fame, he's not a Bronco. Steve Atwater, Champ Bailey, Carl Mecklenburg. Those are your three semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And don't forget that Mr. B is one of the two contributor finalists 
He's already a finalist. That's already been decided, so he's already moved ahead. When they meet the Saturday before the Super Bowl, Pat Bullen will be one of the two guys, along with Gil Brandt, the longtime scout of the Dallas Cowboys, who the selection committee will vote on. But Steve Atwater, Champ Bailey, Carl Mecklenburg are your three semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, and it's nice to see. Um I'm not going to get excited about it because it's not it's not something that really does us any good. We we go through this every year. The the fact that it took this long for Pat Bowlen to get to where he's at as far as uh you know being in the Hall of Fame or getting into the Hall of Fame is ridiculous. The fact that it took as long as it did for Terrell Davis to get in, ridiculous. The fact that there isn't a single true Denver Bronco in the Hall of Fame that has played for the Denver Broncos defense is insane to me. Nobody That's from the or- nobody from the Orange Crush, nobody nobody from the 80s and 90s and nobody? Really? That's I mean, gonna get that's gonna get that's gonna get fixed this year because Champ Bailey will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Which I, I agree he there, will be. There's absolutely no doubt. The the problem I have with it, and this is the worst part of it, because Champ Bailey's gonna go in this year, because he is and he deserves to, and because Pat Bolin is gonna go in this year, because he is and he deserves to, it really means that the writers are not gonna put in Steve Atwater and Carl Mecklenburg, who are also people who deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And that, to me, is is one of those situations where we, we have this conversation all the time. The way that the Pro Football Hall of Fame does things is, it's just, it's bad. There needs to be something done about it. They need to have a bigger class. They need to, you know, Andrew Mason, when he was on our show, talked about doing something where they, they do a year where they, they kind of get as, you know, a big class of guys in, so that they can sort of unclog the drain, if you will. And unfortunately, that won't be this year. And so I think for for Steve Atwater, who I, I absolutely love the opportunity to talk to him, had him on the podcast, was on their show, unfortunately, it's not going to happen this year for him. And that's not fair to him because he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm I'm not trying to take anything away from Brian Dawkins, who is clearly a great football player and a great safety and a and a very good man off the field. Mm-hmm. He should not have gone into the Hall of Fame before Steve Atwater. Agreed. It's just it's that simple. And now you have Ed Reed, and you're going to have Troy Polamalu. You still have John Lynch. They did it wrong. Yeah, and, when and you that's, think of safety. When you think of safeties in the National Football League and the history of the game, the first person to come to mind, if it's not Ronnie Lott, is Steve Atwater. And it's because of that hit on Christian Okoye. It was a defining play for not just Steve Atwater, but for the safety position and for the entire National Football League. And I've said it multiple times. I've said it on this podcast. I've said it in the stories saying that you you have to get these people into the Hall of Fame. You cannot write the story of the National Football League without Steve Atwater. Well, he's one of the safeties on the all-90s decade team. How is somebody who's on the, the all-90s decade team not in the Hall of Fame? To, to me, that's a, that's sort of one of those 
that's one of those weird things with, about the NFL Hall of Fame where you have guys with all these accolades that can't get in because of their convoluted system that doesn't allow for them to get in. So they do it to themselves. And by they, I mean the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the way that, and the selection committee and way, the way that all works. If, if they had a better system, they wouldn't have this debate. And maybe that's really the point, is they like having the debate so they don't mind having a terrible system. And I, I'm not sure if I've said this on the podcast or shared it before, but I, I was, I wanted to put a story together on Steve Atwater and his candidacy for the Hall of Fame. So I, I reached out through uh, a third party to get a quote from Wade Phillips because no one knows defense better than Wade Phillips. This is what he said about Steve Atwater. Steve is the best free safety I ever coached, 40 years and counting. I, what else do you have to to hear? <laughs> this, uh, I love Wade Phillips. Can I just, let me just say I love Wade Phillips. I miss Wade Phillips. I love Wade Phillips. He has the ability to sum things up so concisely. That was so perfectly stated. 40 years and counting. Best free safety he's ever seen. He's ever coached. That's that's that is high praise. And we've had this debate before on offseason podcasts. We did it with Ryan Edwards. We did it with Andrew Mason. We did it with Steve Atwater. In terms of all time football players in the National Football League, I don't think there is anyone more undervalued or underappreciated than Carl Mecklenburg. Because that man could play every single position on the front seven. There isn't a position that he couldn't play, and he didn't dominate when he played it. That is insane. Yeah. I, I mean, just just another football player that is not going to get he, – he just won't get in because he played for the Denver Broncos. If he played for any other team, if he would played for – if he'd played for the Minnesota Vikings, if he'd played for the Kansas City Chiefs, if he'd played for the Oakland Raiders, if he'd played for the Giants or the Jets or the Bills or you name it, any other team, he's in the Hall of Fame. But for some reason, the writers don't see the Denver Broncos as a franchise that has Hall of Famers. I, I don't understand it. I, I just don't. And I think he's going to end up falling into that Randy Gratishar uh, category where you ask football people about him and they say nothing but great things, but the writers don't put him in the Hall of Fame. And again, it goes back to the problem with the Hall of Fame and the way that they put guys into the Hall of Fame. It's a convoluted system that doesn't work. It's inefficient, and it really just makes people angry. It makes me angry. Right. My people, I mean you and me. I, I mean... Randy Gratishar, as we've talked about, is one of the greatest linebackers to ever play football. Louis Wright was the first shutdown cornerback in the history of the National Football League. He was Champ Bailey before Champ Bailey. I, I mean, Lyle Alzado, who can't even get into the Broncos Ring of Fame, let alone into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's got lots of other things going on, but yeah. 
I mean, I, I mean, there's Rich Tombstone Jackson. Yeah, Tombstone. There's Tom Jackson, Rick Upchurch, who was Devin Hester before Devin Hester. Yep. Jason Elam, Tom Nalen, Rod Smith. I mean, I've, I've, there, I've made this comparison. There is only one wide receiver in the history of the National Football League who can match the statistics of Rod Smith. Jerry Rice is the only receiver in the history of the National Football League to match the production and the numbers and the wins of Rod Smith. Won't ever, ever sniff at the Hall of Fame. Nope. Wes Walker will get in. Sure. Yeah, probably. Rod Smith won't. No. Rod Smith, undrafted free agent. Greatest, possibly the, I would say he is the greatest undrafted free agent wide receiver in the history of the game. And when you he's talk, the greatest undrafted free agent in the history of the game. I think when you have that conversation, he's definitely in that conversation. He's he's top two or three at at, at worst. And so it is it is it's just one of those things. Here we here we go again, right? I, I hate to do it because it feels like a here we go again moment that we're just gonna have the same conversation and have the same frustration. And so I'm going to try not to get, I'll get excited about it when it happens right now. I want to worry about Pittsburgh. And we'll see if they're able to keep their playoff hopes alive. And the discussion becomes even more serious. Yeah, this is, this would be the way to keep this, keep the discussion going. So you're going to have, there's one of two things is going to happen this week. You're either going to start to really feel good about a chance of maybe possibly still getting into the playoffs or the season's over. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.